Welcome to the show. My name is Jake Gallen, and I will be your VIP host for the night. Let me see if your name is on the guest list. Ah, there it is. Before I let you in, I must let you know one thing. The people on this list are some of the very best eccentric entrepreneurs, creative visionaries, and ambitious leaders that Las Vegas has to offer. Whatever you see is for your eyes and ears only. Now, go on, get in there. The show is about to start. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Woo, we made it. Mama, we made it. You guys, I'm ecstatic, like just so excited for this. As you guys know, I've been a giant stand-up comedy fan my entire life. And I finally, after 98 episodes, finally get to talk with a comedian who is coming. The first? First comedian yes! on the show. Let's go. He's also coming out with an Amazon comedy special tomorrow. Today's the 15th. Tomorrow, March 16th. Yep. So oh, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, I'll be releasing this on the 15th. Cool. So 16th guys, we'll check that out. Um, we'll have everything posted. I'm here with Butch Bradley. He's a comedian, writer, producer, actor. I'm sure we'll get into everything else. He also has a residency at the LA comedy. What is it? Club at comedy club. How did I forget? Inside club. the strat inside the strat. I've already gone and seen him twice. He's got to do some more tonight. It's a very well put together show. Love the love the vibe and Butch. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, brother. It's good to be here. Yeah, the Strat has been good to me because you know, as I started comedy in Boston, I grew up in New Jersey. I didn't. Everyone's funny where I grew up, so I just moved to Boston after college. After my real job, I was in the middle of my real job. I snapped. I'm like, I've always wanted to be a comedian. I better hurry up and go try what I dream to do, and I can easily get a job I don't like. So I went to Boston, started doing open mics at Knicks. The guys like five, six years ahead of me were like Patrice, Bill yeah, Burr, Boston's Dane. like the Mecca, yeah. one of the Meccas for, for comedians. Yeah, so I'm in there getting ready for my first time on stage, and Patrice and Bill Burr are right there sitting together as young, young comics. And I walked right, and I remember Dane Cook was in the corner on the first laptop I really saw anyone bring into public, <laughs> not to date myself, but you know, like 1998, I was like, what was that little device? You know, <laughs> you know, what is that trickery magic in the corner? Uh, glue, illumining light coming upon his face, feeding him comedy. And, uh, but I didn't talk to Dane because of the device scared me and uh, witchery. But uh, I just said to Patrice and Bill, I go, hey, man, I'm going up. I'm scared. Any advice? And Patrice O'Neill looked at me. He said, you're going to eat it with a big smile. And he looked up at the ceiling as to release the most giant laugh I ever heard in my life. Like he postured back. Like if he laughed at me, it would have knocked me over. And he laughed into the sky like, <laughs> and I remember feeling immediately faint and nauseous because I was so scared to go up and I like stumbled to the bathroom and I'm like, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. I'm throwing cold water on my face. And the strangest thing happens. I leave. I'm staring at the stairwell, remembering that I read Seinfeld would just leave and come back under a fake name. Some story I read about him. And uh, some woman goes, you'll be fine. I don't even know this woman. I'm guessing God sent her. She touched my arm and she went, you're going to do fine. And then they called my name and I went deaf. I could not hear. I could see the audience moving. Nick's comedy stop. Billy Martin's hosting, who becomes the executive producer, head writer of uh, the Bill Maher show. And I'm walking forward and I got to the mic and then all the sound came back and that's where it all started. So all those years on the road and back to where I began, the strat, the last three years, the residency at the LA Comedy Club have allowed me to catch my breath. 
Because at first, you'd never been really flying anywhere. And then all of a sudden, four, five, six, seven years in, you're flying everywhere all the time and peeking in to check a menu to see what language it is. You know what I mean? So be, being around all of those comedians in such the early days, did it feel, was there like a sense in the room that everybody was going to make it, everyone was going to become the, these great figures that they are today? Or was it just like a bunch of guys just in the beginning trying to figure out their way? You know what's funny? That's a great question because I can see that room and I see a lot of figures and I see a lot of like blurry faces. But the people that had this weird little shine, um, you know, like Bill Burr and Patrice, ironically, I didn't know who they were. And I went to their table for advice out of another 15 people that were quote unquote comedians. And I saw Dane, I noticed him. I didn't know who Dane was. And, uh, and, and Dwayne Perkins, another comedian friend of mine. And I remember their faces and I remembered Billy Martin being kind to me, like, like, you know, giving me good advice. He's like, if, you know, uh, but I think you don't know, but maybe now as a seasoned comic, I can see something special, you know, immediately in someone across a room or I can hear them. I don't really watch comics. I'll listen to them and um, I'll know there's something just about years of comedy. I'll know hearing them speak and their timing. And then there's something about that. You, you know, if someone's got that thing. You can tell when somebody enters the room, there's a sense of like energy around them. Right. Some people even just stop and kind of like look at them. Even if you don't know, you could just tell it's kind of like an an embracement of their confidence but also like how they go about themselves are they kind their body language is like a big signifier of that as well there is there's so there is so many elements and because I'm in such you know comics I would say comics are like the witches and warlocks you know we pick up energy we over years developed a skill to read audiences and read people and it just it just sort of hones and gets sharper and sharper and there are a lot of comics who i would say if someone new or someone i don't recognize is in the room and they're chill and they don't throw credits at me i automatically go i bet that is an effing killer I bet that's an effing killer. And then I'll see people who are like B and C level celebrities and they'll throw, you know, credits at me. I'm like, this dude is going to eat it tonight. I'm like, and I'll go look at the list. Like who is going to put him to sleep? You know? Cause you look at the list and I'm like, Oh my God, this dude's got to follow Bobby Lee. Bobby Lee is going to, you know, take his claws off and sing some weird song. And then that guy's going to go up and go, Oh my God, MTV, MTV road rules didn't help my career. You know what I mean? So you can see it. And, uh, it, it's a cool, it's cool being, in it this long and being around everyone and, and still being competitive, knock on wood, pray to God, pray to all the gods. <laughs> Something I love so much about the comedy scene is the, the community. And a lot of the comedians embrace this all the time about it's, I mean, it's a self-deprecating community, but you kind of <laughs> have to be to be a comedian, but everyone wants to see each other win. They don't treat it as a zero sum game. They see it as like, if this one comedian wins then most of us win because it just brings the the scene forward you know that is really cool because i consider myself like a comedy romantic and when i first started i thought like they were all gonna hug me like conan and belushi was gonna come in and chaplin and carol burnett and you know any comedian probably you know they were just gonna go welcome to the club you know and um the real comedians who have who've been on the road for a minute who are um good confident 
have ego, but are humble. You know, the Chappelle's of the world. I mean, Chappelle will come talk to you. Chill. He remembers my name. And that blows my mind because I've only met him like five or six times. I've been in and around him a million times, sat with him a couple of times at the comedy store. And we hung out after a couple of times with a group of comedians. Those dudes say, hi, hey, Butch, what's up? I'm like, that always blows my mind, you know? And, um, and the real comedians really do tear each other up. And if <laughs> and I go after and play or that weird laugh in the darkness when a joke doesn't hit, that's fun comedy. That's a compliment. And a lot of people who maybe aren't really truly stand-ups who are learning comedy or are in it or are in the window of – uh, right before they realize they don't cut it to be in the in the grouping, um, they don't get that that is like the greatest compliment <laughs> to have like someone look at you and go, ooh, that worked out. Ooh, that was wonderful. And you're like, F you, dude, F you, whatever. No, Butch, it's no, seriously, that was, that was really, I mean, enlightening to, you know, you know, wow. Did you, are you going to go around and apologize to each person, Butch? You know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, they, there's it's different, great. there's different variations of comedy. You have obviously your, your presentation of your show, but then the back end, it's a bunch of comedians shitting on each Killing other. Each but, other. But, but that's like the fun. That's like involving them in the community. Yeah. To be a part of that banter and, to be able to walk to a comedy club for me being, you know, this is what I love to do, you know, going up to the store, the improv or the laugh factory or LA comedy club and just walking up and, you know, they, they may or may not know who I am, but I can go, Hey, Butch Bradley comic. And then in a couple minutes in, I'm allowed, I'm greenlit. I'm in, you know, I can slide in it. That's like fun, cool stuff. And the odds are someone's going to say something really horrible to me. That's going to make me laugh so hard. You know what I mean? Like, Butch, I didn't see you on the show. What'd you have to, how did you get in here? You know what I mean? So, and, uh, I love that. And I play pretty hardball with that in the green room. And I've had to soften up with some, you know, I, I started to figure who can handle it and who gets it. But, yeah, we're pretty lovingly ruthless in the green room. And the, the community itself, too, I hear this from Joe Rogan's podcast and a bunch of other podcasts. And I experienced it also at the uh, L.A. Comedy Club that you don't have to necessarily start out as a comedian to be a comedian. You just kind of have to work at the club and work your way up. There was a, a server, I forget what his name was, at the L.A. Comedy Club that was a big comedy fan. He's trying to work his way into becoming a comedian, but he was just like serving tables. There's a couple. There's like uh, and there are a couple of strong local guys that work there. There's Mike Krasner. There's Michael Robertson. Or yeah, I, one of them was Mike. So there's like 400 mics. Yeah, yeah there is. That's part of the rule. You want to start comedy? What's your name? John, move on. Um, but cookies, I call him. Michael Robertson, he's a great guy. He's working there. There's Sean Reddy. And, um, you know, they are all grinding and uh, sort of like in the element of the comedy store where you had to be a door guy. You know, I didn't come through that road. I had I was a regular at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood. And then, you know, my friends like Tony Rock, Brent Ernst, you know, Sebastian, Steve Byrne. We're all boys. You know, John Caparulo, we, you know, you help each other get in and out of where you weren't. You know what I mean? And I uh, get you, and I eventually got in with Mitzi and went that road. I auditioned for Mitzi, sure. But you usually start as a doorman for those crazy dudes who just moved to L.A. not knowing anything about the stage and um, just got a job <laughs> as a door dude. And worked dude, their way Dude, those up. guys, 
That is the banter. That is like Mach 10 above Dude, yeah, the green room uh, abuse. Duncan Trussell was one yeah, of Duncan, those. Yeah, Duncan. I know yeah. Duncan forever. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. good. I love his podcast. Yeah, uh, he's, he's cool, he's a man. He's fucking hilarious person. He's really... I remember going to the store from the factory, and it felt like I was like at a dirty strip club. Because as soon as I went in the front or the back door, there's just like someone like... You know, Ari Shafir, dude, as a doorman, was just so angry looking in his white <laughs> shirt. Like, nee, and then like I just would get to know him and I'm like this dude is so funny and angry and cranky and then he starts to get his stage time and then he you're like this dude's crankiness is gonna be so funny and uh that a lot of the store guys like that you know and uh you know the first time I saw Rogan was at the factory I was new and I came off stage and I remember he said to me, you're a, you're a Boston comedian, right? Because I started in Boston. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I can see it. You know, good set. And I remember I knew Joe, like, I didn't really know Joe Rogan. But, I mean, I knew who he was from a TV show. He played, like, a maintenance dude. In the very beginning, yeah. He was just, like, some back-end yeah. position. And he, then he did Fear Factor after that. Right. But, I mean, literally, he was one of my first, like, celebrity compliments. And then I went, Oh, I know that dude. You know what I mean? It just starts happening in LA. You're like, oh, who, ha, you know? <laughs> Yo, this is such a side story, but I'm an eight, I'm from New Jersey, so we always talk really, we talk to everyone and we touch. I swat, right? Patton Oswald is at an ATM in front of me, right? And um, <laughs> I think I know him. I don't really know him. I've just seen him do sets on TV a million so you times. you feel like you know him. So I feel like I know him. And I swat him and I go, yo, what's going on? And I hit him again. He looks at me, but he smiles. <laughs> he bat. Now remember, he's doing an ATM transaction in Hollywood. And he's got a grin like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, but he's smiling like he must know I'm not coming from, I'm going to rob you, rob you, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't even have that presence. So, uh, but he looked at me and I'm like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I thought I knew you. I know who you are but I don't know you. And he laughed. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice to meet you. And I was like, holy shit. I just swatted this dude as hard as I could. You know? But I also swatted Seth Green the same way. Dude, I swatted so many celebrities just back in. Yo! Oh, damn. I'm doing it again. Sorry. 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 Apologize. Yeah. Funny. Do you think the LA comedy scene is dying or is dead? A lot of comedians have fled because of what's been happening in the comedy store and all these this like government regulation that's over it, oh. do you see do you see it translating out to different communities and different yeah. cities? Yeah, one hundred percent. Look, comedy's been around since Jesus. It's a sh the shtick, you it's know. Evolved. They, it yeah. has evolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's evolved, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not going anywhere. Humor, family stories. Um, no, comedy is not going. Comedy will be. Comedy is never going anywhere. Entertainment is never going anywhere. When we're poor, broke, sad, there's a pandemic. That's the, the first PC culture has definitely tried to push it away, though, or they, try to like box it in a corner. Well, when people don't understand something and they come from a place of ignorance and they're afraid, they don't want to hear what you have to say because they're afraid you're not gonna you're gonna say something offensive to others because of their thoughts, their personal thing. And a pro comic is going to deliver, you know, in and out, flying in between buildings as best he can. You know what I mean? Like, we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to break it. Comedy has been sold out again in Vegas since October, for those of you who don't know. Now, we went from, you know, 12 people spread out, brutal learning lessons, 
uh, experiences with, you know, people separated not only in their culture, maybe Mexican, Asian, white, whatever, black. Now it's blue and red are floating around. Well, now over about six months, they're starting to float together again. And remember that it's all BS and we all live together and you got to pay your bills. You love your mom, your dad, your cousin, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, whatever it is you do, it's all common between us. And the comics are the priest that won't hold back. It's like having a superpower. Yeah. Rabbis are cooler than priests. They tell you more. <laughs> they really do. But comics are even more free than the, you know, than whoever it is you go to for advice. And uh, comedy is not going anywhere. A lot of new people are moving to follow the Joe Rogan uh, trend, and I wish them well. And I'm sure Joe's wondering where the hell they think they're going, because guess what? If Joe's in town, there's one hour of stage time you're not getting. Mm -hmm. Move to Boston. Move. Well, you know, we got to see what where everything falls with the pandemic. But Chicago, great comedy, beginners, crushing headlining cities, but the uh, open mic scenes are incredible. So Chicago, San Fran, um, you know, um, Boston, New York, but we'll have to see. And, uh, comedy's not going anywhere, dude. What about the comedian scene in Las Vegas? Las Vegas has been the number two destination for new residents over the last two years. Are you seeing a migration of comedians moving out here as well? Interesting. Cause everybody was moving out here and, um, you know, Vegas is a headliner town. So up until about 2008, it was headliner, headliner, headliner. And then the celebrity comics saw the ability to, to drop into the improvs, steal your Friday, Saturday, and make like ungodly amount of money, but steal the rest of, you know, your week. Then they did it in Chicago. Then they did it in, you know, like New York clubs, like Gotham or whatever. Like you're headlining, you're grinding killer, but then Jay Leno wants Friday and Saturday, so you get the other shit nights. You know what I mean? And then he makes, you know, 30 times your salary. So when that slide happened, Vegas went from headliner, headliner, headliner to the clubs had to afford the headliner. Then it went to, let's find a newer dude to feature open where before you had to be a killer. But Vegas, I wish I could have spoke to them before they came. This is a place for killers. These people come from all around the world. I'm one of the only non-resident, I'm the only resident non-celebrity. We're talking about Lady Gaga, Brittany when her dad lets her out of the basement. <laughs> you know, God bless you, Brittany. I love you. I'm with you. You break free. You can hide. They, they will not you leave, hide with me. They will not leave her alone. You come stay with me. My girl's Mexican. She'll kill you if she finds you, but I will hide you. Okay, I'll find you. I, I all right, size up. But there's celebrities on there. Share. You know, like I mean, every you know, every major killer there is is in Vegas. So these guys gotta come in with no skill. Tons of cool little open mic spots, but you don't have season four and five-year comics to learn from. You're coming in, you're trying to get an audition, you're getting wiped out, and then there's a dude who flew in for the week to kill. So it's difficult, but the local scene is tenacious. They've grinded through, and now we have some really good local comics. But but um, the pandemic, uh, the tide came in and took a ton of them back out to sea because financially, as a young artist... Man, if you're not bartending, parking cars, uh, doing Uber, you're so lucky to have Uber too. I hate and, all of you. And that's the benefit of living out here in Vegas. You could get a bartending gig and make high five figures or even six figures. So oh you can God. do that. You could uh, be a Unbelievable comedian. Unbelievable yeah. money. It's insane. Especially if you're cute. 
good looking, you know, which I fall right below the par of cute, but you can make some dough here. I was a bartender in Boston. It was so difficult to give up my money on a Friday or Saturday night to leave three, 400 bucks mm -hmm. to go make 25 or just do a guest spot. And I would run down the street to Faneuil Hall and do my open mic and come back to the bar I bartended at. It was, it was pretty cool, but yeah. So a lot of dudes wa washed out to see. Even a lot of these, these young headline, these guys who are about to be headliners, God, they had a year. Someone just stepped on their toes. So now they lost a year of growth and everything. But um, hey, the, it, it, it's here. It's, uh, Vegas is probably not a great starting point, but those who, who uh, fought through it, they've gotten better. I see them now. You know, guys that I see on the stage and I'm not like, you know, cringing. And comedian, comedians are starting to become creative in the ways that they distribute their, their comedy. We had the the rise of... TikTok, right? There's TikTok. There's the social media comedians. That's like Tim Dillon got really big off social media. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have the podcaster comedians who... There's some comedians that I think are more hilarious in the podcast format than they are in a stand-up format. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And then there was comedians who were doing like Zoom zoom in 100%. remote comedian acts. So there's a lot of different methods to the distribution now than the just traditional in person, which is obviously the best, but some comedians work better in other distributions. 100%. It depends on, you know, I mean, look, stand up is uh, is a is a very difficult and if you're not up for that uh, you know, uh, experience, you know, my family, some of the funniest people I know, they don't, you know, they're firefighters, police, postal workers, concrete workers, casino workers, you know, but they're hilarious. And uh, it just, if you find a place and you're funny, just crush it. You know, stand up's not for everyone, but uh, it, um, you know, for me, True stand-up is, you know, the the top of the mountain that's of the, the art. That's yeah. the mecca of, of comedy. Yeah, that's Tibet. You know what I mean? Like, that's Tibet. You climb all day and you get up there and, and oh, my God, this is amazing. I got to buy some fake artifacts. What do I do now? <laughs> yeah, what do I do now? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's different, but you're right. There are a lot of Zoom is a beast. That is not stand-up. I've done it enough to know, but... It is a forum for comedy, and people need comedy. So sort of touching back to your other question, is comedy going anywhere? No, it's just changing. People need it so much that brilliant young people came up with Zooming it right into the room. And I've done some big shows on Zoom, and the only reason I did well was when I attacked them. <laughs> I was I did Ben Glebe's show. It was like all these people. And I'm like, Ben, I'm staring at someone's parents right now. This is the strangest thing in the world. And, you know, like, just you go after each other. It's different, but um, it's great that that passion and that drive is there so that someone, man, especially during COVID, you know, uh, could listen or hear something that was relieving on the topics, you know? So. It's, yeah, there is something that's been getting big, too, is Clubhouse stand-up acts if have, are you familiar with Clubhouse? I'm very very yeah it's all voice yeah yeah, that, yeah. that's like a perfect verbal yeah, verbal it's and perfect. Clubhouse. you just yeah. literally sit there right right in right in your room and uh, you don't have to worry about anything very comfortable and for the most of the time when I'm listening to podcasts it's just like background noise yeah 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 I mean I'm supposed to do a clubhouse right after this special with some celebrity friends I'm hoping to do. Uh, they've approached my management on doing it. And, uh, you know, it's very cool. All of these forums are just cool. For me, though, 
even as a, um, a person who enjoys watching talent, whether it's music, a blues club, or, you know, um, you know, I didn't like Ben Harper. Then I saw Ben Harper in a little blues car, in a blues club in Hollywood, and I just couldn't believe what that felt like to hear these guys riff and jam or, you know, piano or unplugged or comics or watching Chappelle work out at the store at one in the morning or Chris Rock at the factory or, you know, oh, my God, there's nothing like that, you know, live form. So for me, it's the king. I love it. You know, I watch you risk failing and then get over it and ride through it and crush Wow, that's real. That's like unbelievable. I love that, man. And I enjoyed your act. I really enjoy comedians who pick at the crowd. I that you share have to, you with have the to... crowd, Jake. <laughs> I, I share my soul. I run stream of consciousness healing you have to laser be, you have beams to be through them. You have to be quick with it. <laughs> you have to have a lot of voices and refuse medication. So, you know, if I took meds, you know, I, look, I think most artists, if they ever had to answer the questions that like a psych doctor would put in front of you, you'd be like, oh, dude, I can see it from here. Just, yeah, yes, across the board. Yeah. What's, what's this for? Oh, this is to see if we let you leave. Oh, I meant no, 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 and no. And I already have these pills anyway. No, uh, yeah, Johnny the Comedian gives them to me after the shows. But, uh, no, you know, uh, running the, the audience and playing with them, it's just like being children again. You know, we all improv. We all played. So I take my daily stories and I run, through, run them through the crowd. And I learn from incredible crowd workers, real crowd workers. It's burning when a guy says, where are you from? And then he goes, oh, pizza, and moves on to the next guy. A lot of comics think they're doing crowd work. There's only a handful that really do it. Vinny Favorito was a murderer, old school comic. I watched Don Rickles as a little, little kid in Atlantic City. My mom would bring me when I was like nine years old because resorts was the only casino. I watch real guys. They go through. There's no setup. It's real. You're in a conversation that's live in front of the audience and it hits. That's crowd work. And then a the beginning in the middle and an end. The idea is to create like a village and then, you know, mesh it on the best nights. And then when it doesn't work, if you've ever seen me, you're like, I think he needs those meds he's refusing. <laughs> you know, you're like, you should take the pills, dude. Take the blue one. Oh, dude, yeah, those are that's my absolute favorite when when people do with the crowd work. But how would you describe your stand up style or just your comedic style? Um, I'm an improvisational storyteller, you know, and I know how to put hits in, but I don't overuse hits, you know, or segue. I don't just it, because. And I don't memorize. I, I know the material. I, I do it more like I would for acting because I want it to be as close. Only these are my real words and these are my real thoughts. You know, I, I only discuss things I really experience, you know, um, and, uh, I'm, and bring them out. You know, like today I was like thinking, like I didn't feel like eating, but I put like cereal in me at like 930 in the morning while talking to the cereal. I'm like, I don't really feel like eating, but I have to eat because if I don't eat, I'm going to be a cranky and people are. I'm going to be rude to someone. I'm going to be rude to someone. I can't believe I have to walk the dogs. I love my dogs, but you know, I'm just cranky. So I have to have cereal and then I have coffee. That's my cranky coffee. And then I'm like a little bit easier for society. So I protect society from me. And I know there's a lot of people out there. Like my girl wakes up like this is a new day. I wake up like, 
Oh God, I don't feel like getting up. Oh my God, tell me it's Sunday. Ten and more I'm minutes. Off. Ten more minutes. That's it. Exactly. Ten more minutes. Ten more. Alexa snooze. <laughs> Alexa snooze. Right. Holy yeah, God. I fall back asleep. It's two hours later. And she's like, just oh. too loud. They got it. She's just like she knows that I need to get up. She should just be like, shh, just rest. But uh, yeah, I run real stuff through them, and sometimes it doesn't work out. But I love that because. You know, I don't do the same show ever, and I have a lot of repeat audience members, so they expect it. I'm not capable of doing the same show. I can't do it because watching guys in the beginning when we when they would monologue, other dudes would come in and snag topics, run up the street, polish and shine it, put it on TV, and now it's theirs. So I just started memorizing my thoughts and premises, running them through, seeing what I believed in. I run them through the audience. When you laugh, those are the hits. I cut, paste, cut, paste, come back, and then I let go of it and try and make it more natural. That's a similar philosophy to one of my favorite stand-up comedians is Mark Normand. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. They're, him and Joe List podcast Tuesdays of stories is dead to die for but he ta he talks about how he can't repeat material either he's like there's just something in me that won't let me do it. it's too robotic yeah yeah well I will you now I was lectured on this by another by musicians as well people do want to hear certain songs you know what I mean I mean Bruce Springsteen if someone went to a concert and he played 30 new songs I think the room would start to get quiet like he's good but hey uh, what, what about down by the river? You know what I mean? People do, you have to use when you're touring, if you're not, you know, Joe Rogan, let's say even Joe Rogan. And I've seen a million celebrities come through Hollywood, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, you name it. I've seen them work, work. They've got 30 seconds on their name. Those repeat polished bits where they hit boom, 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 build build the room up, give the room confidence, see your skill. Then you dive off and play around a little, but we owe that audience a little something. We don't owe them anything, but we owe them. It's weird. It's a real give and take relationship. And you have to have a set. You have to have five minutes, four and a half minutes with laughs on a TV show. You audition with them in LA, you showcase with them. They end up on Fallon. They ended up on the tonight show. That's your dream. And then when you get to tour, open, middle, close, you stretch it and try your hardest to make 45 minutes. And eventually you hope it's closer, 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 closer. Some of those things are going to be things people have heard. And hopefully a lot of those things aren't or new things. But you got to have to go to do stand up. You got to have something that works. So, yeah. Some people do have those popular pieces. Uh one comedian that I that I enjoy is Burt Kreischer, and uh, he, has, he, he has Buddy, the, the, yeah. the machine joke, which yeah. he runs. I saw him live last time he was here, like two years ago. Yeah, and he waited all the way till the end, and then did the machine like afterward, just because everyone wanted to hear it. But he said it so many times that so he couldn't I would, lead with it. So I'm talking to all these guys. I call Steve and Burt, and I go, "Hey, my special comes out March 16th. Uh, you know, I got to deal with Comedy Dynamics. I tell them the whole deal. I'm like, I need your help. What do I do? You know, I'm worried. Is it going to pop me? And Bert story, he told me, he's at the improv, it's like half full. And he's like embarrassed because he's closed and he's getting great money. And then that night at midnight, he tweets out the machine first time. He lets it known the machine. By the next day, he wakes up, the improv calls, goes, oh my God, we're sold out. We're thinking about adding another show. And he's like, really? What's going on? His machine went to went viral overnight exploded him into the stratosphere. So, you know, 
as I'm getting ready, these guys are giving me advice as friends. We all we would all tour together and just tell me how to cut and splice it. And then you put out a best cut piece and you roll the dice and hope it gets some hits because social media is our tonight shows. You know, these are our Johnny Carsons now. You know, our one minute and twenty second tweet, our Instagram, our TikTok. These are our it's tonight all, yeah, shows. It's all cut cut and slice and dice pieces. Yeah. And the million that don't really hit but they're good for you. That's like the Tonight Show, too, because you do late shows, and they're only good for that evening. And the next day, your cousin's going to call and break your heart and go, I didn't know you did TV. So, you know, you hope one of those hit, you know. Twitter is really like a testing ground, and I also use Twitter as a testing ground for things to say on the podcast in in terms of either intellectual thoughts or maybe something that's a little edgy and kind of see what the response is. And if if no one responds, then I'm like, okay, this is probably pretty good because it's edgy. Yeah, yeah, they're afraid. To, they're afraid to be a part of your uh, your uh, thought, yeah, 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 something yeah. something that's Ugh. maybe controversial yeah, out yeah, there on the edge. Yeah. Anything like politics related or Trump related is yeah. generally out there on the fringe. But there is a lot of content to unpack within those messages. Last night there was this uh, couple in the audience, and I was playing with them with their masks because people determine if they want their mask up or down. Obviously, chin diaper, and I right, and I'm playing with them and I go, I know you're blue. I can see how blue you are. I go, did you sneak out of your little creepy California? Did you sneak out? Hilarious. Both of them take their masks off, turn them around and put them on. They both said Biden. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, no way. I go, you, why are you hiding? You won. You won. They're like, we're in your country now. We don't know. I'm like, oh, this state's, this is Vegas. We're all Vegas color. You can do whatever you want. Let no one cares what your politics are. Vegas is always a purple. Vegas is always purple city, purple state. So it's like, it's a diverse. Look, if I knew I was going to get a paycheck every week for sleeping, I would have voted Democrat years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Yeah, right on that, right on the eve of uh, the stimulus package getting passed today Dear too. God. <laughs> Biden, sign another piece of paper. Go on. Someone push a piece of paper in front of him. Oh, it's the control. Yeah. It's all the control factor. I did see though that the the local legislature passed something or Sislak said yesterday where if you're six uh, feet. No, it's now it's thirteen feet if you're the the act or the presenter yeah, or the DJ the yeah. or something like that. So does that change your act at all? You know what? COVID started out like I'd say June was my low point where I was like so depressed, drank for like four days. Oh my comedy's over. Dear Lord, more pizza. <laughs> I was a sad, pathetic mess. Thirty, thirty dollar Uber Eats bills yeah. every day. Yeah. And then I snapped out of it, went to the gym and uh literally I haven't had a drink since. I like quit I actually quit I like all alcohol forever. And uh just started going to the gym grinding and hoping things would change. And then the club opened in October under the small rules. It was so very difficult to do comedy with where we are socially, you know, individually, your state, your your cultural background. There's so many elements that comedians deal with on a regular basis that were, it was like looking, if you had 30 people, it was like looking at 30 different opinions, 30 different states with like, it was really insane. Everyone was tight at that point. They didn't know what to say because they say it out loud. Still tight, but it made me a beast. And I can only compare it to when Rocky, when uh, Mickey 
the original Rocky old school, Mickey brings Rocky to a little abandoned parking lot uh, and has him chase a chicken. He goes, catch the chicken, Rocky! Why can't you catch a chicken? Well, COVID has made me run around and chase the chicken, and now I don't care what they do with the room. 12 feet, 15 feet, 30 feet, they made me a beast for any insane environment. And, uh, you know, as long as there's people coming, we're going to make it through. Uh, Vegas is always one of the first locations on the earth to pounce ahead for one quick minute. I was the only running show in the world, full-time running comedy show, and in the States for a long time. I'm the only full-time resident. So comedy's going. Vegas it give, blessed me. I don't care what he does. I think it's sort of at this point... Everyone wants to be healthy and be alive. We should all know that. Do whatever works for you. I'm careful. My girl and I are careful. We mask up. We do our gel. We have a very small personal family group that we know where we all are. I go to stage. I go to the green room, and I leave. I do fist pumps once in a while. Then I gel. I leave. But I'm not like an asshole. I'll hug someone if, I, if someone wants that. You know what I mean? I have enough enough faith that tomorrow's going to come. I had COVID twice. Yes, I had it twice. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. Mic drop. I had it twice. I was scared the second time. First time, my girl cured me with her Mexican powers, <laughs> with Serrano and Fabuloso, you know, just breathing in Fabuloso. People, that's a joke. Don't Go home and try breathing in fabulosa. But anyway, uh, yeah, so you got to live, man. And the whole world wants to live and be healthy. But, yeah, we have to make money. We have to have economy. And we have to make sure we're not being, you know, a lot of people would love to see America disappear. So, you know, I don't want to get political, but it's time to go back to work. Yeah. Alexa, wake up the United States tomorrow at 9 a.m. and tell them they got to get their asses back to work. I can tell you just from you or from us standing outside before we walked in here, nobody really cares. Yeah, right, right, right. They had, right. They had that like hot rod, uh, classic car meetup right across the street. Yeah, There's like right. 300 people in a right? pit. <laughs> right? You know what's funny? We went to Meow Wolf. Uh, Stephen Roberts and Joseph Roberts are, are, are close friends of ours. And they uh, and Stephen Roberts is a comic, and his husband Joseph runs Meow Wolf. And they had us go over. And it was so cool because my girl and I almost passed out because the whole place was so no one was wearing masks. The whole area 15. I go, oh my God, babe, don't say a word, but this looks like 2018. <laughs> like it felt incredible. Everyone was sort of distanced, but it, you know, there wasn't anyone barking, you know? Yeah. There's been a lot of points of emphasis since coronavirus happened. There's been a definitely massive emphasis on mental health. And we, we understand now that we are social creatures. You yeah. know, the suicide rates, unfortunately, <laughs> we're up like 200% during those quarantine times. 100%. So being boxed in is not something that no. we should good for it makes me totally understand back in the cavemen days where cavemen would go risk their lives because they were just tired of being stuck in this cave for an hour because there was a tiger outside i cannot believe you said this because i was saying this on stage i'm like look i don't know how to describe my political my view but if i were in the caveman time and we were all in there blue red skip the colors just whatever your beliefs were i a lot of them would be in the back like i don't think we should leave and i'd be like listen we want to go eat. We want fire. I heard there's a thing called fire out there. I'm freezing my ass off. I say we throw Karen into the mouth of the dinosaur and we run by the dinosaur and we bring back fire and chase off the dinosaur and then we eat and we live, okay? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Like, these people are clueless. You can hide in your homes. I mean, 
we're seeing signs that it like who knew we were all afraid one side saying lock up the other side's too free you know what i mean why didn't we just have an adult conversation mm. you know like mom or dad was like these are the rules it's my house let's just do it for a little while but um we have to live, you know what I mean? Yeah. I look, my brother was hit by lightning. He died by lightning. So that always sticks with me that I want to live. I don't want to not live. And, you know, it, like he was in the thriving, physical fit family. Boom, gone. Guess what? You think I'm going to die in my house, 30 pounds overweight, eating pizza and chicken wings? Why? 7-Eleven can stay open. Uber Eats is open. And all the weed stores are open. And you're telling me for my safety, stay home. Guess what? I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to throw Karen into the dinosaur's mouth and live. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? God. Bye, Karen. No more calling the cops. Yeah, and you know what? I didn't even believe Karen existed. I thought it was like a secret way to be racist against white people, which it sort of is, but I don't blame you. Until I was in the park two days ago, I have two Dobermans, okay? You probably don't yell at a dude with two Dobermans unless you just know my dogs are cool. This woman is jogging. She's like 5'10". She's got the look, the Karen glow. She's speaking, screaming into her phone while she's fake jog walking in the park. I'm at this park every day for three years. Two Dobermans on invisible leash, on e-collar. They're sitting with me playing. I am 30 yards from this woman. And she yelled at me, are those dogs on leash? And I and actually that screechy Karen voice. Dude, there's there's families in the park. My dogs aren't near anyone. There's other dogs, and she's on her phone. So anyway, you heard me, either. And I'm like, oh my god, I have to be a good human here. I go, they're on invisible leash. They're on e collar. They're professionally <laughs> trained. But in my head, I thought, oh my god, I wish I could just look down at the dogs and in German be like Karen, you know, like oh, go hey, go eat Karen, you know, like go like my dogs are the spookiest dogs ever. I'm like, I don't think your aggressive yelling is the wisest decision right now. But God, people need to just mind their own business and live their life. Let me live my life. As long as I don't put it on you, you know, throw her in the dinosaur's mouth. Well, society's speaking with their feet right now. Vegas is at one of at the peak right now for travelers for this entire year. There's a massive amount of people that I've, I've been seeing through the headlines that are out here. A lot of the pools are sold out from friends that I've been talking right. to. The clubs just opened up yesterday. Well, the the lounge clubs. Yeah. And they said it was pretty busy, actually. Yeah, it's cool. Like, if, if you ask everyone to quiet down for a minute, and the, you can, like, like, like uh, crickets, you can hear it. <coughs> That's <laughs> the sound of 30, so that's 300 people with a dry cough. Wait, we're at an all-time high for coughs or suppressed coughs in society. When you're standing right? in line and you feel coughing, you're just like... Yeah. <laughs> you can look over to anyone right now. They're going to have two things. They'll have a vape pen, and then you can ask for the Robitussin DM. <laughs> right? <laughs> Hey, do you think I could have a swiggy DM? <laughs> you know, I'm afraid to cough in public. They'll drag me to the center of town and burn me. Yeah, they're all called. They're all pointing at you, calling the CDC immediately on you. There's gonna be some yeah. some vans outside, yeah. just a strap, putting yeah. you in a strap jacket and yeah. taking you away. Yeah, and I don't want to be misinterpreted. I understand people are sick. I understand all of it. I'm just saying that individually, you got to make your own choices and decisions with some rules and laws in place, but we have to work. And also America is such a bubble. I've traveled the world enough to know that the more, uh, you know, we hide in and our economy goes down, 
there are a lot of other countries that would like to start a little scrap with us right now at our lowest point and uh, show us what a real issue is. You yeah. know what I mean? It's true. I mean, a bunch of the countries are actually putting blockades on their citizens traveling to the U.S. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing I'm concerned about Vegas is those international travel bans because I feel like over the summer, there's probably going to be a massive spike of people coming out here. Not in COVID cases, chill for those that are listening, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you're going to see a, a giant peak of just pent up demand, as Vital Vegas would like to say, of uh, people coming out here. Yeah. But for as long as those international travel bans stay, you're going to see a giant trickle off into the winter and maybe the beginning of next year until we yeah. can get until we could get those international customers back here. Yeah, I, I guess they said we're going to be herd immune by summer, so whatever, yeah. Honestly, I've been rolling with just normal life the, this entire time. Just, I, started, <laughs> started, I mean, I wear, I wear a mask, I wear a mask going out, but right. the, just playing pure percentage points, yeah. you have a 0.01% chance of dying. Yeah. I'll take my odds, and if I were to lock myself away, if I were to live 80 years, you know, that 1% is, I'm bad at math, but 1.25% or whatever yeah. it is of your life, it's just like it did not add up to me. Yeah, well, right, and we, we did it, and as I said, I, I wasn't fun being sick. I was nervous a couple times, but, you know... Uh, you got to live, you know, yeah, it's, it's, and that's what's great about Vegas, dude. I don't care. Like the level of volume we have right now is incredible. I mean, we've sold out. So now we're at whatever percentage we are. 35. 35%. And I've been to the Laugh Factory and I've been to Brad Garrett's and, you know, and there is a little bit of a light volume, but they just add shows. Mm -hmm. So it's all the same. People want comedy. They're coming out to the shows. And um, we'll probably get back to a normal complaining American once <laughs> we're swamped. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm in traffic. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't believe I have to go do this show to 400 people. Yeah, I can't believe these fast. people. How, oh. could, how could they sell it out? Yes. How could they do that and help my life? <laughs> yeah. Well. The, the one, I mean, there's definitely a bunch of benefits to coronavirus as un-PC as it actually sounds, but the the big buzzword is like they like to call it the great reset. Yeah. A lot of these like social constructs and reality have proven that they aren't needed and now we're really accelerating to this internet age, this digital age. Uh. I try to like point this out a lot on the podcast. It's like you have to utilize technology now if you're just like a normal normal person. That's right. why I hopped on the podcast immediately. I was like, okay Content creation is going to be really big. Yep. I see that's happening, and I need a way to put myself in front of other people and, right. and build connections. So that was like something to hook up to. Like 2020 was the best rebranding opportunity you could do for your life. Right. So I hope that a lot of people took advantage. It sounds like you rebranded a bit. You quit drinking. You know, yeah. you looked, you tooled, and you know, pried and figu figured yeah. out what you need to do for your craft and how to present yourself. I got really hardcore just being clean and going back to normal. And I would do this a bunch in my career. To sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, reevaluate what I needed, right? To reevaluate what I needed to to be competitive in my career, which is there's always someone new coming to kill and uh, to get me or to be better or it feels fresh. So going to the gym, going back old school, rewriting, and I ended up getting the opening act with Steve Byrne and uh, you know Ken Jeong and Jimmy O Yang. Uh, I did that movie. Then I got called out of the blue during COVID to do the Ronald Reagan movie, which I sat and filmed for three hours with Dennis Quaid and Penelope Ann Miller, who plays Mrs. Reagan. It was mind blowing. If I hadn't like gotten myself up and, 
you know, took a cold shower and said, yo, don't be a little baby. Keep the faith. Go grind. That uh, it sort of snapped me. I was ready for these events. I dove into my comedy. And then my special gets picked up because there was nothing really, like, I was having a hard time being seen by proper people. I had a lot of heat. But then with COVID, all of a sudden, I moved to the top. It's because, because you were the only actor right then. There were yeah. no, there were so few in the can. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this really going to help me? I feel guilty about this. <laughs> I feel gu- like, hey, you know what? This is great. COVID. And uh, it just helped me. I got, I got a deal. I got the special. I got my management's killer. And things are working out. So, but. I had to wake up and sort of hit hit and change the trajectory, you know. Face and, the reality, yeah. not, not play the victim no, card. No, I had to get into it because I, yeah, I just, you know, I, you know, red wine and and rewatching Game of Thrones wasn't helping. <laughs> I love the dragon lady. Just watching season one through seven on repeat, not yeah. watching season eight. <laughs> right, you want her alive? I want that dragon woman alive. I want her to fly over and be like, "Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> love you." So once once this comedy special drops tomorrow, what kind of impact do you think it'll have on your career? Well, all of the back heat, first of all, I think it's good. It's not, you know, I don't think I'll ever be happy. I mean, I think it's funny. It's, um, you know, I've already like in my head have the next one. Uh, I'm up for another one. I'm already working on that. That'll be different and hopefully more evolved of me. But Man, it had to come out of me. It's like it had to all come out, and I had to get a special. And um, it feels good. I think, it. you know, all of the buzz and the heat behind it have already helped me. You know, I'm I'm very blessed that, uh, you know, I've been doing it long enough where I should be good at this point. You know what I mean? and, and, And I've heard some other comics say, when do you pop? If you pop too early, I sort of ran a really good, positive career. I had to deal with Courtney Cox. I had to deal with Will Smith. I got into the factory. I got into the store. I did the Martin Short Show. I did some late night TV. I had like a lot of little things, little movie roles. And popping now is good because I kind of like so chill about it, you know? It'll, it'll work out. I can handle what comes forward. So Yeah, you don't I, want, nobody wants a peak in high school. Yeah, so I'm hearing good things from the other side, but uh, I've accepted either or. I'm a comic. I'm used to audiences not liking me, win and fail. There's really no fail in comedy. If you show up at the stage the next night and you hear laughter, you already won. That That's gone. So uh, it feels good. It's good. It's one step further on the road to the things that I need to do, you know? Is this your first uh, stand-up special? It's my first special, yeah. Congrats. I like I recorded. I did live at the Laugh Factory, and I did um, like a bunch of Byron Allen things, and then I did a longer one at Byron. But my own personal one-hour special, yeah. We filmed four one-hour specials. They wired the audience, and, um, you know, I... Did four news. I did four different uh, shows, and we sort of weaved together some of the likenesses and the elements. Caught a lot of great uh, improv and crowd work and storytelling, and uh, put it together. And it's very pre-COVID because I'm like in a riotous, beautifully colored crowd of black and white and Mexican and Indian and you know a masala of humans. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and uh, you know, so it was so. It makes me miss it because I'm looking at the special. I'm like, oh my god! I remember when I could touch them or be like in someone's face. You know what I mean? <laughs> like human. What's uh, does the stand up have a name? 
It is, this is funny, and you're evil for bringing it up. <laughs> so it's supposed to be live from Las Vegas with Butch Bradley. But dialogue and legal people, someone wrote down from Las Vegas, Butch Bradley. And uh, that went into legal. I guess the guy at legal has, like, no idea of, like, common language and how things are said, how sentences work. And, uh, you know, uh, it's listed as from Las Vegas, Butch Bradley, which is weird. But at this point in time, I don't care. I'll run with it. If you Google Butch Bradley, Las Vegas stand-up, I'll show up. And I'm on Amazon and Google and Apple and iTunes, and my, al my album comes out the 18th at the same time. I have another one called Butch Magic on 800-pound Gorilla Records, but this one comes out on iTunes, and uh, it'll be killer. So just Butch Bradley. I'm hoping, uh, if you're interested, hit me on Instagram, Butch Bradley Comedy uh, at Instagram, and um, or hopefully your site will mm -hmm. advertise the links yep. for me. And, uh, you know, pre-buy if you can, okay? Pre-rent, pre-buy. That helps us, believe it or not. So don't, don't pirate it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Please, just, I don't care. Just pre-buy one link, okay? Buy one and then let your friends do whatever, yeah. Well, do, you, do you have merchandise? I have nothing but my soul, oh. okay? I'm not there. You know how many times I had merchandise and had my heart broken? I had the DVDs. I was like, hey, hey here we go, everybody. I kill, they walk by me. Did it again. They walked by me. I only sold merchandise out in Canada. In Canada, I was like the king. Everywhere in the States, you know, my mom would walk right by me. I've seen the act. You know, people just don't buy. It wouldn't buy. But now I have, like, hats and some cool shirts from Scary Story that I sold. But I'm going to revamp and bring some merch out. But truthfully, all the guys I watched, all the legends, weren't selling you crap at the end of the show. Prior, you know, the original, all SNL character, whoever they are, they aren't selling you, hey, please buy a T-shirt, please buy a T-shirt. You already bought my ticket to see my show, so uh, that works. If you come see me in Las Vegas live, uh, that'll be cool. I'll have some merch down the road, but something that I would have. I, I just don't like pushing stuff on them, you know? We're just going to have to put your stuff as an NFT and call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Have you been hearing about this trend? No, no, The no. NFT thing? What is it exactly? Uh, it's going it, to... So a lot of artists are doing this. It's a crypto thing. It's called a non-fungible token. Okay. And what a lot of artists are doing, they're making like digital art and you put it as oh, this NFT, which is, it's it. like a digital ownership. It. But people are just doing like people are putting tweets as NFTs and yeah. because it's hype and speculation. So <laughs> I almost you'll hear you'll hear about it. It'll definitely come up. It's like in the news now at this point. So guess what? So I'm supposed to open the first ever virtual comedy club in like it was like Switzerland or something. They were talking to me like a year ago and I was supposed to go in and open up this virtual comedy club. And they told me that's where I was going to make all the money. Uh, you know, put like BB on the wall in the virtual club and they can buy that yeah, particular yeah, that's logo. that's an NFT, yeah. Yeah, it was cool, but um, it didn't work out. <laughs> but, you know, it was it's an incredible concept. I'm sure it's underway. I mean, I play Call of Duty every day. Boom. Come and Dropping bombs. Red Dropping. Rain. What's your KDR, Red though? Red Rain. What's your KDR, though? That's oh, I have a pretty good one, but not... So this is it. I think I'm like 1.3 or something, something like that. As so, long as you're positive. Yeah. So before COVID... That's pretty good. COVID, all of a sudden, all the you know the youth of the of the world, mm. you know, Korea is like, ah, hey, you're all dead. Huh, come, Samnida. Like everyone from everywhere under the age of thirty is a murdering pro, and now you can you can go like on a tournament, and you can pay twenty five dollars with your buddies or whoever, and if you win, they pay their first five spots. 
That's incredible. So now you can game for money. So, dude, I get killed. It's so I'll play like four times. I'll die so much. It's just pointless. And I look at Xbox, and if it was cheap, I would smash the shit out of that thing. I, I don't flip out on it because my, my girl's usually in the house thinking I'm an immature idiot. I'm like, I'm just a man. I'm a man. It started with Atari, please. But if she wasn't there, I would smash every – I would buy appliances that I could just smash. I cannot stand how fast – these people kill you. I'm like, okay, I landed dead oh, into the gulag. You know, when Corona, when the quarantine first started, the internet providers were afraid that the internet was going to shut off because <laughs> right. of the, the bandwidth right. had increased so much because of everyone playing right. online. Right. Netflix was talking about taking off their, their 4K streaming play because they were so afraid of the bandwidth shutting down the really? because of the increase. Wow. But because of, like you said, all the nerds are getting on, playing you, again. I felt it. I felt I felt, you could feel it if you're a gamer. You could feel it like, and I really hadn't gamed a ton until COVID. Then I was like... Xbox One. I can Amazon. I got a couple bucks here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My girl's like, "What's happening?" I'm like nothing. I just need some me time. <laughs> I need to. I need to kill some. Dude, I love all that stuff. That's all. All my all my coworkers literally were in all these Call of Duty groups, just playing with each other constantly. Oh, I love 24 it. Twenty four seven. Oh, it's embarrassing and wonderful. It's horrible. I can't, dude. When you're in the future, you could be like ninety seven years old, tapped in. Who you, who knows what's going to be happening? You could be tapped in playing Call of Duty. You could be in your fake house. You could be, you know, whoever. God only knows what you're going to be able to do. Like, they're going to have nursing homes with people tapped in <laughs> who pay, who's like family pays the extra hundred bucks where you're like, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, like I'm 20. Grandpa just has his eye twitching, but yeah. he's really had yeah. KDR of three to one dropping bombs on everyone. <laughs> right, right, has right. A, has a fake voice of a girl right. he just, running through his mic. His switch is on his eye so he can switch from porn to game of duty, call of duty. He's like, porn, call of duty, porn, call of duty. What's grandpa doing? Is he communicating? Everybody leave the room. Leave the room. Grandpa has switched. Yeah. 3D porn, virtual reality porn. That's already a thing. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh. It doesn't seem, it just seems, I, I, I haven't seen it. I just don't believe. And here, what if it's really that good? Then I'm Dude, really I, in trouble. I remember one of one of my old roommates, one of the old houses I used to live in. He got one of those uh, VR glasses. Yeah, yeah, my buddy had one. Yeah, we came home from a night of partying, and he was sitting on the couch in his clothes, and he was just like, "Oh, oh!" He's like, "We're like, what do you do?" He's like, "Dude, 3D porn. You guys gotta look at this. You gotta get on." He's like, I'm in an orgy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean. In Asia, it's probably even better. Like touring it's Asia, out. yeah. Like I've toured Asia a bunch. No, it's not, dude. In Asia, the techno technology in Asia they have blurred always, out porn in Japan though. Maybe, maybe it depends where you're looking. You know what I mean? It's exponentially better. Everything in Asia. There's no look. I lived in Shanghai for one year. There's no filter. So whatever we do, like if your car does 100 miles an hour in China, it, it goes fast as until it blows up. Like, I, you know, whatever. So virtual reality and tech in like Singapore and Japan, I bet you're like, I can feel her. It is amazing. When, when did you live in China? I lived in, um, I had a residency with Takeout Comedy. Uh, I was the first American stand-up to live and work in China. 
So I lived in Shanghai from, uh, I think it was, what are we, 21? It was like 2014 to 15, I believe. Oh, so this is recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I lived there, and I had my own show. I, I, I did a thing called The Gathering that started in Hollywood some years ago. So I would do stand-up, The Adventures of Butch Bradley. I would discuss going through China, and I would work all over China, like Beijing and all these places, and Suzhou, Hangzhou. Uh, and, uh, you know, I lived there, and I would travel, like, on my own after a while. And um, it was incredible. Chinese people are absolutely incredible. They're very family-oriented. They're very busy, and there's a push element because they work so many hours, and they have to get on to get home because they work six-day weeks. It's, it's, it's like a work-busy environment. But uh, uh, it was incredible. I worked with... Um, Turner Sparks and uh, and Andy, like they have podcasts, they have big podcasts. And Andy, I think, is working with Live Nation right now in Hong Kong or China. And um, it was cool. It was a lot of stress, a little bit of anxiety with the numbers. There were many times where I sat down on the floor of the subway and I was like, oh, my God, I got to get off at the next stop and drink a bottle of Jack. I have to drink a bottle. Like, unbelievable anxiety. But it was cool, man. And then on the gathering, I would bring celebrities in that were in Shanghai. I was the only comic, you know, real. And comedians from Germany and France and Iran and all these crazy places were taking open mic classes there to learn stand-up. So it was a really cool thing. And Chinese can all speak English perfect. Like, if you're under the age of 30 in China, they're English. You wouldn't know they were Chinese. Yeah. You'd think they're from Manhattan. That's because the, the native language of the internet is English. So yeah. they, they have to. Yeah, movies. They all learn, uh, a lot of people learn English from comedy movies you know like they'll they'll a lot so many people would say chris rock or you know it, it was crazy but uh it was cool man china's so, a cool spot do they have a lot of comedy houses out there there's a big like well, quite like it was a little demand for it it was open when i was there okay so i'd been touring hong kong for quite some time with a lot of comedians i was brought into hong kong and then they would trickle us into like singapore malaysia and i opened i i'm i opened the first comedy club in malaysia called uh the crack house crack as in joke over there in Kuala Lumpur and that whole run and then I, I would go into China as it was growing Andy and Turner started this comedy scene with a guy named Paulie like they just started doing open mics and open mics one from Australia one from California and uh it started to grow and that scene was growing but over the last when Hong Kong got squeezed China got squeezed, and they squeezed the comedy scene and start filtering everyone. But one of the biggest Chinese comics is one of my best friends, Storm Shu, and uh, just cool. It's cool that, that you know, you, you just got to – see, I never had a problem because I don't have anything to talk about the people that own the house I'm a guest in. I'm not going to discuss Chinese politics or American mm. politics. I'm here to make people laugh. You know what I mean? I'm not really here to go, well, this is how you should do things around here, you know? you Thanks for the guest room, but you know what? I think I want breakfast earlier, and I like your towels folded this way, and you know, Americans are really quick to explain to another world how they should live, but never had problems, but the comedy scene has been squeezed and just opened to crack. Hong Kong was one of the most amazing places in the world to go. You wouldn't need to know anything. Get a plane ticket, land, whole world, every country, having wine and walking around and chilling. It's it's a sad, tough time. I hope it pops open again. So comedy over there has been filtered. Yeah. Oh, Dangerous. Man. Because if you say something negative about mm -hmm. China and it's recorded over the last five years... Mm -hmm. Those people are now snagged. They're waiting for you to come in, and you don't know that mm -hmm. China's got a basement full of people going, huh, Jake it's said China sucks back in 09. Yeah, you, you, you see that the Chinese, the, the CCP starts um, 
they start deleting different NBA teams and different, uh, like they don't have South Park, any sort of bad retribution or speak towards them. But they got it. The youth and all of them use an internet system with, yeah, VPN, with a VPN and, and they use TNZFN, I think it's called. I forget what it's called. But they, they use understand, a VPN. They yeah. understand, yeah, crypto, all that they're stuff. All, they're the kings, dude. So what would you say was the main difference culture-wise between China and America. And the reason why I ask is because comedians are really good at picking out subtle idiosyncratic, I don't know, tendencies and like the methodology of different cultures. You know, so it's so, when I think of China, it's just so busy and yet quiet and yet loud. Like they would build 24 hours a day. So you would go to bed and I was having a sleep issue because they built a building across the street and it messed with my reality because it was little. It's like, you know, just a foundation. And then over the next week or two, it's like 12 stories, 15 stories. And I was like, what is happening in my head? And uh, I would say that, um, you know, we, I felt so free over there. You were really could do anything you want. People weren't in your business. You know, I could really do anything I wanted. Like I could literally scooter. I, I, I literally bought a tree for like a, 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 tr a plant like this high on the top of a bridge, just pulled over in traffic. This is when I knew I was kind of getting my Chinese legs. I pulled over, I bought gloves, I bought the tree, I put the tree, I could barely see, I got my gloves, I went down, I stopped. Uh, at, there was like a little bar, uh, restaurant, I had a little sandwich there, I had like a half a beer with a buddy, Not, like I'm, I'm like in jeans and a shirt, dude. Flow back to my place, I remember passing some Chinese dudes on the corner that knew me, they'd see me, I was like the only, you know, uh, guaylo in the neighborhood, and they were like, they pointed because I was doing well. They're like, ah, like, you know, and I ride my scooter, and but I think the difference you know, hardworking, um, the sense of freedom, their family's important to them, you know, because there's usually three, unless a child meets another child from a single child family, then they can have multiple children or like the whole world. If you're wealthy, you have money, you can have as many kids as you want politically. They won't say that, but that's the truth. It's really difficult for me to really pinpoint the differences, but I felt good over there. I did feel cut off until Mandarin started to flow a little bit. But language, I think, is the most important thing for humanity, you know? Because if you can't communicate or you don't mm -hmm. travel, then you really don't know how other people are. But I think that they're just, it was just kind, man. People were cool, really kind, no crime, zero crime. How about that shit? That's all. Yeah. How about that shit? I walked around all night, all times. CCP don't Zero. play. Do, do, they do not do, play dude, with that. You're done in two seconds. Yeah. You just disappear. You disappear. Yeah, you see that happen with, there's a bunch of conspiracies that are surrounding that too with uh, the Chinese doctor who was the whistleblower about COVID disappeared after oh, he's a few done. weeks. There's a few, there's a few different cases like that. They have a very strong grasp on the censorship in that country in terms of like the TV propaganda, shows, internet, 100%. things like that. All the shows were weird. There was no TV, really. The, all the TV was like old World War II movies where they're kicking Japan's butt, which probably didn't happen. So, you know, it was weird. I was like, wait, this is, they're beating Japan again. I'm like, all right. It's all alternate history. Yeah, TV yeah, yeah, it was just interesting. And the news, you know, I, you know, but honestly, I really, it was just cool, you know? I don't know how to explain it, but they were very cool. They loved Americans. I think right now 
there's a bad tone because they feel the one rule that I listened to, which was don't be rude to a Chinese person, which should be common sense, uh, you know, to be rude to a human. You know what I mean? Especially if you're a guest. I think right now, because they think America thinks, you know, you started it. Mm -hmm. And sadly enough, they don't have the proper information, you know, because we don't really know if it came from an American lab taken to Wuhan. We don't, we'll never know. We're, this we'll mystery know. is going to be like the JFK, JFK. We still haven't figured out 9-11. Your great, great grandchildren will be watching a documentary where at the end they're like, so they really don't know who started it? You know what I mean? Like, this is ridiculous. Huh? You know what I mean? Like they're never, no one, we're never going to know all, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, China's cool, man. People should go check it out when it's, you know, a little more chill. Yeah. When there's a little bit more yeah. friendliness between the countries, the animosity is toned it down a little bit, but the Chinese guests at the nightclub that we had, and even at the, when I worked at the pool, always the most kind, very, very genuine, always smiling, spend a ton of money. <laughs> I learned to barter. I would barter for everything. I was like, there's like this Chinese give and take system. And I was just like, everyone's like, you can't just pay. I was like, dude, I can barely speak English. Now I have to learn Mandarin, you know, and try and barter. I'm like, oh, boy, boy, boy. Oh, okay, okay. Shit, 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 shit. You know, so some quick BS. It's like out when you're in Israel. Yeah, like you're huge, in the shook. A, you're in the yeah, shook in Israel. a huge barter system. Dude, if they had like a game show where it was like a shook salesman versus like a, a Shanghai salesman, <laughs> that would be unreal. Oh. Oh, throwing an Indian dude, right? And then like a New York American who's like, yo, come here. I've, I've got something for you. Stop. This what? Which one? What do you want? What do you like? What do you see? These are real. Which one do you want? Yeah. Barter wars. Yeah, barter wars. Let's do it. Right. Let's International it. barter wars. Yeah. Cindy or Karen. No, we should. Karen's our first guest. <laughs> What, what was the best international comedy experience you've had? I know you've traveled around. Before we started recording, Butch told me you'd been to Israel a bunch of times. Israel too, was so. mind-blowing. I loved it. The shows are incredible. We did all, multiple cities every time with the Kobe Mandel Foundation, which is a foundation that supports people who are affected uh, by terrorism. They've lost loved ones, you know, husbands, wives, daughters, sons, or whatever, to uh, terrorist acts. And it's a healing system where these victims come together and share their stories and grow. It's an incredible foundation. Those shows were always incredible. Uh, I toured India with an actor comedian named Veer Das uh, from India, uh, who's in, Amer in America now doing great things. That was incredible. India was unreal. Um, the USO shows, though, probably always the top. I did Afghanistan and Iraq. I did like five or six in Afghanistan, two Iraq. Those shows, I like performing on Saddam's entertainment palace on the front steps with Ralphie May was that it was me, Ralphie and Bob Marley, comedian, Bob Marley out of Maine. Wow. That was like magical, you know, like that was just like, I'm in front of like 8,000 international troops, attack helicopter explosions, early Iraq. <sighs> Whoa. I bet the energy it was, is unreal. It's unbelievable. The heat, it was like 115 degrees. It's night. They're all over the bridge at the entertainment palace. If you want to Google it. And they're just all piled up with all their different type of uh, military uniforms. The front row was just like all these people you recognize from CNN and all that weird. Like, hey, this is General So-and-so. And, you know, um, and literally it landed in Blackhawks and had like a Apocalypse Now moment where the general was like, we're going to put two giant speakers.
Mayer's here. And, and it's like sunny and we're terrified and Ralphie Mays there, we're all sweating. And he's like, we're gonna put speakers here. And we're like, sir, what are you talking about? He goes, you're gonna do a show here on those steps. And, uh, and he's yelling at his assistant. He's like, uh, you know, I want speakers. I want it to be like ACDC's performing here. I want everybody to hear this. I want a microphone and we'll keep them here and tell them we're gonna keep them here for a couple of days. You guys will stay in the palace. And we slept in Saddam's daughter's bedroom and got to see where the missile came through to Saddam's bedroom where they missed him and we swam in his pool. It was creepy, weird stuff. I'll probably have to talk to God about it. <laughs> but yeah, 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 it was crazy. But we did the show. You would have to speak because your brain was melting and you'd have to wait for it to go out and hit and then come back and go real slow. And, and I had a Captain America shirt on, right? And I took my Kevlar, all my gear off so they would see something normal. I wore jeans. I want them to feel home, you know? So I'm, I'm doing great. But people are cheering and yelling when I first went up. I'm like, they don't know who I am. So this is weird, right? Little do I know, I go to the mess hall late night. There's like a thousand, this is a big, big place. Camp Victory's huge. And they're like, there he is. And they're cheering. I'm like, I must've been funny. And I go, what are you guys doing? You're doing something. They go, dude, we're all taking bets. You had a giant Captain American target on your chest and we're surrounded by snipers. <laughs> they're like, we're like, this dude is insane. I was like, all right, but was I funny? Like, you're really good, but you're insane wearing that shirt in the Middle East when they want everyone, you know, you're in the Middle East with a target, <laughs> oh dude. Oh, my God. Dude, we saw you walk out onto the palace steps. We were like, is he insane? And I was like, why wouldn't somebody have said, change shirts? You know what I mean? But it was amazing, dude. It was cool. <laughs> Those were mind-blowing, you know, shows. Show. I'm sure the sense of patriotism that you feel there yeah. towards the country is just yeah. unreal. It's unbelievable. And then you get home and you're like, you know, I would watch people waiting to try and hope that they could get internet to call home. And, you know, they're doing it here, but the idle time at war, you know, just sitting all day and all day with it, with before missions or non-missions or maybe your job's different. And it keeps you on a, a uh, you know, on the main base like Bagram or Kandahar or Camp Victory, or then you're on a forward operating base where it's this big and those nights are scary, man. And guys would laugh at me like comedians picking on people in the green room. They pick on me. They'd be like, hey, you ready for the fireworks tonight? I'm like, dude, please stop. Yeah, you're going to hear some stuff. It's going to change oh, your life. Man. They're like, don't worry. If you hear it, then you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> and I took the biggest rocket attack I took was with an Israeli, Avi Lieberman. We had like seven rockets hit. It felt like Bat those old Batman movies where the room tilts. That's how I explain. And then trying to get to the place, and Avi's like not nervous. I go, dude, what is your deal? I'm supposed to ask you. I've done this before. We got to run. He goes, dude, I grew up in Israel. This is like, mm. you know, this is like me on the way to school. I was like, oh my. And we became best friends. And that's how I ended up in Israel through those stories. But yes, America. That is amazing. Yeah, Israel, you feel super safe. When I was there, I was there towards the end of 2012, and that was like the height of the Gaza Strip bombing. And Everyone in Israel is in shape. There's like no fat beautiful people. people. Yeah, beautiful people. Everyone there eats healthy. You eat salad for breakfast. <laughs> no one's going to believe me, but a ro so romantic. Because everyone comes home and like, how is it? I was like, 
gorgeous, romantic. It was unbelievable. Just couples and families and sweet and a little bit of wine, amazing food. It was really an amazing place. And the, the country is so tight knit because of the element that's there. You know, it's uh, I always joke that Israel just needs better PR. <laughs> they need better public relations. Cause I come home and I have to tell everyone there was a beach. It's gorgeous. They play this weird paddle game against the beach walls and they're all ripped and they look like gore. It's looks like a, a, like a summer magazine. You know what I mean? I'm like, Israel needs better PR. I want to do that commercial. I want to do the, you need to get back to Israel. Okay. You people think rockets are flying and yeah. everyone's like, it's gorgeous. gorgeous. Tel Aviv. Beautiful desert. My lottery ticket. I told you I hit the lottery. I'm getting a spot in Tel Aviv. <sighs> Boom. Says, maybe in Vermont, maybe Vermont, but Tel Aviv, you know, maybe Switzerland, Tel Aviv first. I'm sure experiencing all these different Ooh. cultures across the country and then coming back to America, you just see how severed the culture is out here. We're all over the place. It's a, it's, if you take the politics out of it, America just supreme. But that the politics is what divides most people. Well, we're so young. It's so we're like a little spoiled fat kid. You know, we really are. And I never uh, the COVID experience watching all of us and coming at one another was gross because it just felt like, honestly, the only. It, I could tell nobody had traveled. They really don't know what's really going on out in the world and how at risk we put ourselves when we look at each other and we point at one another. Well, while America's pointing at each other and calling each other racist and this and Republican and blue and yellow, the rest of the world, the real creepy countries that we're the people that really want us to hurt ourselves are like, this is perfect. You know, we, we read like right out of a page out of a CIA op right out of a takeover Psy of a country. Up. Seriously, how do you want America? Well, let's have them hate each other. We'll throw in a pandemic and then we'll go in, we'll throw in some high tech viruses and then we'll take the country. We, we can't behave that way. We just look like a spoiled fat kid. So I love America so much. So, you know, it's, I knew that we would grind through it, you know, and uh, we're going to grind out of it and we'll be a little bit more mature, but we have a bit to go to catch up with the maturity level of the other world, you know, because we're fat. I mean, look at this. How many countries are like, we're in trouble. Stay home. I'm going to pay for your Uber Eats for the next seven months. You guys fatten up. Don't work. It's okay. Thanks for the votes. Stay home and fatten up. Get high. Eat Uber Eats. Do nothing. And good luck on your first day of work when it happens a year later. <laughs> See how many people stay at work. <laughs> oh, dude. Omni and some of the clubs started calling back people, and some of my coworkers are in trouble. I have to say that. Yeah. Some some of them are going back to the gym because we've been doing nothing but sitting around for, well, for a year. learning to work to apply eight hours. I mean, I, th know. I think that eight hour work model's dead now because I think <laughs> it I th is working at home is probably going to happen a lot, a lot more. That's, That's always the been trend. there, but it's going to jump. It's been accelerated. Yeah, yeah. COVID was an accelerant towards yeah, that. Yeah. Actually, I've I've had a few real estate uh, people on here that own different companies, and the majority of the new residents are all remote workers that don't have to stay in their state anymore. Right. That's why the housing market's at an all-time high because all these people are like, if I could work, if Google's going to pay me 150 grand a year to work from home, let's just go to Vegas. 100%. Let's live there. Yeah, yeah that, th we are 100% going to be a community that ends up 
with the majority of the workforce at home. I'm sure it's going to help on health insurance issues with big businesses. Does your employees work at home, et cetera, et cetera. It's safer. Whatever. It'll, be, it'll be good for you guys, for everyone that's working on the strip and the, and the entertainment industry. Yeah. It, well, yeah. I mean, because they'll have energy to come to shows. Yeah. yeah and they'll have, ex- they'll have some extra capital and want to go out. I keep and- peeking at you. Cause I know you're there. I love you guys. <laughs> come see me at the Strat at LA comedy club or get my special. Don't yeah. hold back. Please get my special. Please. Go in, go in. You, yeah, go you, you guys, in. you guys have to see Butch. I've already seen him twice. I'll definitely be there more often. I'll do a special show for you. When you, you go, I'm here. I'll go, all right, it's going to be a new show. Yeah. Now, now that you sat here and talked with me for almost an hour and a half, you know, the perfect things to say to me That's while right. you're on stage, That's right. everyone's like, wait, is he a Jedi? I just start. I just. Right. I just put all your personal info on the wall behind me. <laughs> this is where Jake lives. This is his passcodes. This is it. He's gonna start making like Jew jokes and stuff, yeah. and everyone's oh, like, what? "Whoa, what? Whoa, what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm no, just kidding. no, no. <laughs> I'm in my dude. It's so funny. So no, your comedy is very. It's very lighthearted. No, but like here's the deal. So I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in Margate, New Jersey. I'll close with this. I was going. I went to Hebrew Academy Nursery School. And then I went to Blessed Sacrament. I was so confused because I'm like, wait. I'm like, listen, I think you guys got the whole Jesus story all wrong. I'm like, my earlier people told me this. And my first time on stage ever, I was like, I think six or five. And I sang a song called Whistle Like Me at the JCC, Jewish Community Center, Margate, New Jersey. That story's never been told. Hava Nagila Hava Nagila Hava. Yeah, yeah, right. Before we get out of here, I always ask one common question, everybody. Okay. Uh Oh, you ready for this? I'm ready. What does Las Vegas mean to you? Las Vegas, man. I mean, having some people like see me, believe in me, LA Comedy Club, Matt Joaquin, The Strat, uh, restart. I've worked here for years at the Comedy Stop, at Brad Garrett's, at all the clubs headlining, but living here, beautiful Midwest feel. Las Vegas, I love, shockingly, I'm in love with Las Vegas. The locals are cool. It literally jumped from leaving from Hollywood to here, I would have never guessed. My career's taken off. I'm like better, healthier. I go out and do more. Uh, I'm less like lay around all day. I love Las Vegas. Las Vegas has been the next best thing in my whole career literally has just like sort of jumped me up ahead. I love Las Vegas. No bullshit. It's great. July and August. I hate (laughs) Las Vegas. I hate Las Vegas because of the heat. Now soon I will be able to afford to hide from this sun in July and August. But right now the (laughs) sun knows where I'm at and I keep my freckles hidden. It's brutal, but, I love Las Vegas. It's it's changed my life, man. It's been great. It's so beautiful to hear. All right, here's the time. For all the listeners and viewers, where do I send them to learn more about you or anything you'd like to mention? You can find me on Butch Bradley Comedy on Instagram. Please add me on Instagram. If you want to catch a show, I'm at LA Comedy Club. My special comes out tomorrow, March tomorrow. 16th. I'll be available on the Apple uh, Icon pre-release. You can buy it there, rent it. Uh, there pre-sales really are amazing for me for for some weird reasons and then if not just grab it but uh it'll be on i'll give you all the icons and everything so that you're got you're they will be a part of the first people to see and have access you guys heard that here first i know all of you guys that are listening have amazon prime so you have no reason to not watch it no no reason at all that's right 
But thank you for coming on, dude. Thank you Enjoy for having this. me, brother. You need, I know you had, a, I saw on YouTube you had a brief podcast you were doing, but you need to uh, start Live that from up. all, yeah, I did uh, The Land of Giants, yeah. yeah no, it's there, and then I covid it out in June. I'll come back. It's coming back, guys. Thank you. Miss Baka, Miss Baka. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next time.